What are you doing Sunday nights? Come join Friendship with God radio Bible teacher Tom Cantor of the Friendship with God Fellowship Church every Sunday night at 5.30 p.m. at The Vine at 9336 Abraham Way, Santee, California. Watch and listen live around the world to Tom Cantor Sunday evening on YouTube.com by searching for Friendship with God Fellowship or by going to our homepage at friendshipwithgod.org. That's friendshipwithgod.org. Welcome to Friendship with God with our Bible teacher, Tom Cantor. Today's message and previous messages can be listened to or downloaded for free at friendshipwithgod.org. Friendshipwithgod.org. You can also obtain free resources from Tom Cantor and view our online bookstore at friendshipwithgod.org or call us at 800-247-3051. 800-247-3051. Tom Cantor also has a daily devotional verse that comes out each day by email and on Facebook. To receive this small daily devotional verse that Tom Cantor puts out, you can sign up at friendshipwithgod.org, friendshipwithgod.org, or find Tom Cantor on Facebook by searching for Tom Cantor and Friendship with God. Now, here is our Bible teacher, Tom Cantor. Okay, so in, um, in two weeks, uh, we're going to continue with uh, Psalm 22, but today is the first day of the eight days of Hanukkah. It's one of the nicer holidays. It's not, all the Jewish holidays are the same. You know, you've heard this before, the Gentiles tried to kill the Jews, God saved the Jews, and then we have a holiday. So, so, so it was that way with Hanukkah as well. In case you don't know the history of Hanukkah, there was a time when Israel was ruled and dominated over by Greece, and there was an uprising, a rebellion, and it was led by the family of the Maccabees, and one of the sons, Judas, was particularly fierce and brave, and to make a long story short, they overthrew the Greeks, and they took possession, especially of the temple again, which had been defiled by the Greeks, and they needed one of the most important parts in the temple was what's called the eternal light, the light, the light that's never supposed to go out. There's always supposed to be enough oil to keep it burning all the time. And so, but this is not just any oil. This is oil that had to be ceremonially processed, and that took eight days. And so what happened was that as they searched the searched in the, in the ruins of the, of the temple there, they found this cruise of oil, but it was only good for one day. And so it was like, oh, no, okay, well, we'll light it on one day. The light will go out. It won't be so eternal. So anyways, after, after we'll have to have seven days, it won't be a light, but then we'll start it again. And they put the candle, they, put the, they, they lit the candle with this light, with this oil, and miracle of miracles, the one day of oil lasted eight days until the new oil could come in. So that was the, that's the whole thing. So the Hanukkah is an eight-day celebration. But for us as believers, Hanukkah is especially a happy holiday because it's not just because of dreidels and candles and, and jelly donuts and candles that we like, because Hanukkah and its basis and the way it was celebrated, and you see this in the New Testament, is and was a festival of light. And that makes Hanukkah very wonderful for us, very special for us as believers. And actually, Hanukkah and Christmas 
have very special meanings for us. And it's great that they both come at the same time of the year, more or less. You know, but but for me, I can tell you, in my in my Jewish home when I was being raised, Hanukkah was a very awkward time of year. You know, the Gentiles are setting up their Christmas trees. It's getting to look a lot like Christmas, especially out in front of the museum now. And but but we as Jews didn't do that. So you know, he felt, oh, what, they got the Christmas tree. What do we got? They got what do we got? And they so there's there was this invention. We don't have the Christmas tree. We have the Hanukkah bush. Well, that's kind of awkward because really Hanukkah bush is not a Christmas tree. But, but, and then it was like, oh, they give gifts on Christmas. And so what, you know, what do we get? Oh, they give one gift. So, you know, we give eight gifts so that I could say to my Gentile kids friend, oh yeah, well, we get eight gifts. So why don't you become a Jew? (laughs) So Christmas day was always very awkward. And then because of that, we would always do one of two things on Christmas day. This is traditional uh, for Jewish people. You either go to a movie or... Chinese restaurant. Well, one time there was a Chinese restaurant, and they put up this sign, Chinese restaurants, put up the sign that read this, like this. Chinese Restaurant Association of the United States would like to extend our thanks to the Jewish people. We do not completely understand your dietary customs, but we are proud and grateful that your God insists you eat our food on Christmas. <laughs> Happy holidays. <laughs> now that sounds funny, but it's also tragic. Because Jewish people, you know why Jewish people go to Chinese restaurants? Because in Chinese restaurants, there's no Christmas. Chinese restaurants, they don't have songs while shepherds watch their sheep at night. They don't have songs like Thou Dost Leave Thy Throne. They don't have songs like He is Born. They don't have songs like What Child Is This. They don't have songs like The Birthday of a King. They certainly don't have songs of Joy to the World, The Lord Has Come. They don't have the songs. And because, because for the Jewish people, there is no king that was, was born. There is no joy to the world, the Lord has come. And, and so to get rest from hearing all these songs in the shopping malls and everything else, that you know, all the songs about God became a man, Jewish people go to Chinese restaurants. Have you ever thought, have you ever thought how Isaiah 9-6, the famous Isaiah 9-6, where unto us a child is born, unto us a son is given, thought how that is really a prophecy? I mean, it happened. You know why it's a prophecy? Because of, in Isaiah 9-6, who is saying that? Saying, for unto us a child is born, unto us a son is given. The people who are saying that are Jewish people. They're saying, unto us a child is born, unto us a son is given. But they're not saying that today. That's why they go to Chinese restaurants. They're not saying that today. But the day is coming when they will say that. That's why it's a prophecy. So for Jewish people, uh, Hanukkah, as, as I just explained that to you, is about the oil. But for us as believers, Hanukkah is all about John 3.19. John 3.16 about God loving the world, and then it goes on to 19 where it says in John 3.19, this is the condemnation, that light is come into the world and love darkness rather than light. Hanukkah is light is come into the world, John 3.19. And the light that came into the world was a person. And that person 
said those words right there in John 8, 12. I am the light of the world. That followeth me shall not walk in darkness, have the light of life. That verse unlocks the meaning of Hanukkah or the Festival of Lights. The Lord Jesus spoke that verse at the Festival of Lights at Hanukkah at one part of the celebration of the Festival of Lights. There were two parts, two great parts to the Festival of Lights. And the first part was the landing of the court of the women. There were great, big, huge candelabras. And those candelabras were lit there. Now, don't confuse that with the menorah, which was in the sanctuary. This is something different. What these were was a big, huge candelabras. This was an exciting time in Jerusalem. This was a happy time. When these the candelabras were lit, they threw light all over the city of Jerusalem. And when those, out, these are called the outer lights, when these outer lights were lit in the court of the women, that's when the Lord Jesus said, I am the light of the world. And those great lights, they streamed out over all Jerusalem. And the Lord says, I am the light of the world. Those lights, when in those candelabra lights were set there to commemorate so that we could remember the great pillar of fire that led Israel through the desert at night there. And for that, he says, I am the light of the world. But obviously when he says that, he's making a comparison between himself and those candelabras. And those candelabras were dark until they were lit. The Lord Jesus never dark. He was always giving light. Those candelabras were kind of like the oil from Hanukkah about the Maccabees, which is all about really a history of oil running out. And those candelabras, unless you kept feeding them oil, they're going to run out. But the Lord Jesus would, is never going to say to anybody, I'm sorry, the last person took all the light. Now there's none for you. And now what can we do? Okay, those candelabras, they, as bright as they were, they did not reach every part of Jerusalem. Obviously, it's a big town. It's, well, it's, and, and, but the light of the Lord Jesus reaches anyone, anywhere. So this is the first part of the Festival of Lights with the lighting of the, of the candelabras. Now, the second part of the Festival of Lights was called the great, was the great pouring out of water. It was a pouring out of water. This pouring out of water was done on the last day of the Festival of Lights when there was a tremendous amount of water that was poured out and it ran down through the streets of Jerusalem. Now, the reason for this pouring out of the water was to symbolize how God abundantly provides for his people, like in the wilderness, when the water gushed out of the rock to give the people some water because they were thirsty. And it was at that time when the Lord Jesus spoke the words of John 7.37. In John 7.37, on the last day, it says, in the last day, that great day of the feast, Jesus stood and cried, saying, If any man thirst, let him come unto me and drink. He that believeth on me, or he that believeth into me, as the scripture hath said, out of his belly shall flow rivers of living water. This speak he of spirit, which they that believe on him should receive, for the Holy Ghost was not yet given. So, 
just imagine, just put yourself in Jerusalem at that time. Just put yourself there. You, I, we're there at that time. The water's being poured out. It's running through the streets of Jerusalem. And right as that we're looking at this great sight of this water pouring out, he speaks, if any man thirst, let him come unto me and drink. Now, if you and I were there, and if you and I were there, and we sensed within ourselves a great feeling deep inside of us of emptiness. We felt empty inside. We felt like there's something more in life and we don't have it. We look at that water and we think to ourselves, I wish there could be a great amount of clean water to quench this awful thirst in my soul. And just as we're thinking that, the Lord cries out in John 7:37, if any man thirst, let him come unto me and drink. And when you and I hear that, if any man thirst, it strikes a chord in us, a chord in us, and we would think, am I hearing what I think I'm hearing? Is there really a person who's calling out to me with the call of, if any man thirst? I don't know about anybody else. I don't know about anybody else. I don't know about everyone else. But I know that I'm thirsty in my soul, so sign me up. That's what we think. And then imagine that we hear this promise of being, you're going to be so quenched inside, you're going to actually be able to give water to other thirsty souls. When I was a young teenager, I felt this great emptiness inside, a void in my heart, something I needed. I don't know what it was. Something was missing in my life. Outwardly, we had everything. We had everything, but I just felt empty inside. So I went to my dad, and I said, Dad, I'm not satisfied in life. I feel so empty inside. I'm just not happy inside. So my dad, he sits me down, and he says to me, all right, look at me. He says, look at me and look at my life. I'm a Beverly Hills doctor. We live in a house in Bel Air. I can do what I want. I can buy what I want. Just become like me. Study hard at school. Become a doctor like me. Make money like me. And that'll make you happy, and that'll solve all your problems of feeling sad and not feeling satisfied in life, and that's the end. Well, that was my dad's promise for how to deal with soul emptiness, with soul thirstiness, thirstiness inside. I went away from that meeting with my dad, and I knew that making money was not going to fill the emptiness in my life because, okay, I didn't make the money, but I spent the money, so what Jefferson, and, you know, and, and I knew that was the money wasn't the answer. And so if you were like me, and you were in Jerusalem during this great event of the pouring out of water during the Festival of Lights, and you heard the Lord Jesus say, John 37, 37, if any man thirsts, let him come unto me and drink, and he that believes on me, as the scripture has said, out of his belly shall flow rivers of living water, you would hear that the Lord Jesus is not talking about becoming a successful doctor. He's not talking about making a lot of money. You know, it reminds me of a lost friend of mine this, this on Friday, last Friday. He said to me that he was so excited. He was so excited with his job. And he woke up at 5 in the morning and just so excited. He just started working, and he, he was so happy doing his job. And I could tell my friend is trying to get from uh, out of life satisfaction from his job. And I knew that as he explained all this all to me, his smile on his face, that, that he wants me to affirm him by saying, that's great. You found a work that really makes you so happy and satisfies you, good for you. But I didn't say that. I didn't say that because I know that true soul satisfaction is not found in work. It's not found in a job. It's not found in money. It's not found in anything else. 
this world has to offer. True soul satisfaction is found in this promise that the Lord Jesus said during the pouring out of water at the Festival of Lights in John, in John 737, if any man thirst, let him come unto me and drink. And this is what happened during these two events of the Festival of Lights of Hanukkah. It's a, the two events. The lighting of the candelabras, John 8, 12, I am the light of the world. The great pouring out of water, John 7, 37, come unto me and drink. Now, he says, I am the light of the world. So the question is, what did he mean by that? What does he mean by the light of the world? What does the light of the world do? Teachers, teachers would typically say something like this. Come to my teaching, I'll give you light. My teaching will enlighten you. And with these statements, teachers are saying that they have light. They have light to give. But what's interesting is that the Lord just Jesus did not say, I have light. He said, I am light. And when he said that, he's saying that light comes from within him. It's not something that's outside of him. It's something that's within him. His teaching, his teaching is himself, is himself. And when he said that, that he's the light of the world, again, it's a throwback to what the candelabras were commemorating, which was the great pillar of fire in the wilderness. That was a great pillar of fire that, that led them, and it was light for them. And just think about how dark the desert is. Dark tonight, the moon's not so shining so bright. It's dark night. Just think about a desert. And you're standing there in the blackness of the night, and you're saying, wow, all this darkness. And then all of a sudden, this pillar comes out of fire, and, and, and it's like the pillar is saying, no, you're in darkness, you must retreat. You will not be allowed to happen here. That was the pillar of light. It was like there was a fight. It was like the fire. It was a conflict between the darkness in the desert and the pillar of fire. And where the pillar of fire was, was, it won. It won the fight, and the darkness had to retreat. You know, for some people, they looked at the pillar of fire out there in the wilderness, and they said, the darkness of this desert is like a darkness that I feel inside of me, just like with the water. And I wish there was a pillar of fire inside of me to lead me out of my own personal darkness. The darkness inside of me is greater than the darkness out here in the desert. And those people were looking for something more than just a literal pillar of fire and something that would just lead them to the wilderness. There were the few within the group that were looking for personal solutions. Uh, uh, to the darkness within. And those are the people that the Lord was calling out to in John 7, 37, when he said, if any man, if any man among you thirst, let him come unto me. Is anyone here, it's like in essence he was saying, is anyone out here that has a personal thirst in their soul, come to me, be satisfied. And then when he says, uh, and when he says I am the light of the world, and he that, he that followeth me, he that followeth me, not they that follow me, but he that followeth me. He's like he's speaking one by one to people. And he's saying, does any of you out there feel a personal, personal darkness in your soul? Follow me. And stop walking in darkness. Have the light of life. And that's like people today. People today who are conscious of their own sin, they feel this deep need within from their guilt, from their shame, they're tormenting them. For the most part in Israel, they looked at the fire, the pillar of fire, and they said, I'm not looking for anything more in life. I just need to get through this immediate problem of getting through the darkness of this desert. That's all. 
I'm not looking for any deep personal pillar of fire in my life. For me, for the pillar of fire that's in the desert, the physical one, it's enough for me. And those are like most people today. And most people today, they feel, feel relatively satisfied with their lives. They don't feel they're sinners. They've long ago silenced and this annoying voice within of the conscious that's made them feel ashamed and guilty and dirty. You sear that one off as a disturbing conscience, and, and, and they're quite happy in life. And they are described by what the Lord said to the Laodiceans in Revelation 3.17. Revelation 3.17, the Lord spoke to the Laodiceans who had just that attitude. And, they, and the Lord said to them, because thou sayest, I'm rich, I'm increased with goods, I'm a Beverly Hills doctor. Well, that's not it. Anyway, and I have need of nothing, and knowest not that, and knowest not that thou art wretched and poor and miserable and blind and naked. And most people are in that state today. They don't see themselves needing anything more in life than just the solutions to the immediate problems of life, which, which could be basically, most of which could be solved with just a little more money. Thank you very much. But apart from that, they're basically content. They're not looking for anything more. They're not looking for this soul-quenching to thirst, a deep thirst from the Lord. They're not looking for a pillar of fire inside. And so here the Lord is. He's in Jerusalem when he says these words. It's the capital of the Jewish people, Jerusalem. It's interesting. Just recently, the Israeli Knesset had this landmark vote where they voted that the state of Israel is the homeland for the Jewish people. So here's the Lord Jesus in Jerusalem. He's in the, the homeland for the Jewish people. He's in the capital of the Jewish people. And there weren't really very many people from other countries there. It was not, Jerusalem was not the capital of the world. It was the capital of the Jewish people. And so there the Lord Jesus is in a Jewish feast, the festival of life. Not a festival celebrated by other peoples in the world. It was a Jewish festival. And there the Lord Jesus is among Jewish people, people from other places, just Jewish people. And there the Lord Jesus is in the capital of the Jews. He's in the capital of the Jews celebrating a Jewish holiday among Jews. And with all that, the world seems pretty far away, the non-Jewish world. But for all these reasons, you would expect that when he said in John 8, 12, he would say, I am the light of, he would say, I am the light of the Jewish people. But he doesn't say that. He says that he is the light of the world. You know, who's thinking about the world in that kind of setting? Who cares about the world at that time? But he brings up the world, and he's saying that he's the light of the world. And for, for the Jewish people that heard him, it seems so strange. The question is, why? Why did he bring up the world when he said, I'm the light of the world? And the answer to this question, why he brought, why he said, I'm the light of the world, and he didn't say, I'm the light of the Jews, I'm the light of the Jewish people, the answer to that question, all is tied up in how God sees this planet, how God sees the world. When God looks at the world, he sees basically two groups of people. One group he calls the nation, his people, Israel, that's the Jewish people. The other group, God lumps them all together and he calls them the nations, the koyim. It's not a derogatory term. It means nations or Gentiles, as we say. And that makes it important when the Lord Jesus said that he's the light of the world, not just the light of Israel. And that's not to say that the Lord is not the light of Israel. He is. He is the light of Israel. 
He's the light of Israel when it speaks about in Zechariah 2.5, Zechariah 2.5, when he says, For I, saith the Lord, will be unto her a wall of fire round about and will be the glory in the midst of her. That's Israel. Glory in the midst of Israel means the light of Israel. Another wonderful day studying the Bible with our Bible teacher Tom Cantor here on Friendship with God. Don't forget that today's message and previous messages can be listened to and downloaded for free at friendshipwithgod.org, friendshipwithgod.org. You can also go online to find free resources from Tom Cantor and our online bookstore at friendshipwithgod.org. You can also find Tom Cantor on Facebook, and you can also go to friendshipwithgod.org and sign up for his daily devotional. Tom Cantor is also the founder of Israel Restoration Ministries. You can visit that website at israelrestorationministries.org. You can write to Tom Cantor at P.O. Box 711330, P.O. Box 711330, Santee, California, Santee, California, 92071. Or email Tom Cantor at tomcantor at friendshipwithgod.org. Tom Cantor at friendshipwithgod.org. Or for more information about Tom Cantor and Friendship with God and Israel Restoration Ministries, call us at 800-247-3051. What are you doing Sunday nights? Come join Friendship with God radio Bible teacher Tom Cantor of the Friendship with God Fellowship Church every Sunday night at 5.30 p.m. at The Vine at 9336 Abraham Way, Santee, California. Watch and listen live around the world to Tom Cantor Sunday evening on YouTube.com by searching for Friendship with God Fellowship or by going to our homepage at friendshipwithgod.org. That's friendshipwithgod.org.